Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome to Up Level Together podcast, place to up level in every aspect of your life, from personal development to mindset and spirituality to business tips and relationships building. We bring you best interviews, tools, and inspiration where one episode can change your whole life. Here's your host, Jasna Borza. Hello, my beautiful people. I am so excited to bring you today's conversation with April Seifert, a psychologist, entrepreneur, and life design strategist. April and I met last year, and from the moment we met, there was this instant connection, and we really bonded um, when she joined my mastermind, and I was able to see her literally create an absolutely incredible product, get it off the ground, and uh, has since launched yet another company. She's a serial entrepreneur, a host of a very successful podcast called women inspired that you should definitely check out. But this conversation was about so much more than just the companies that she's running. We talked about the, you know, her upbringing, the fact that she got, you know, blind and paralyzed at uh, age, you know, 13 and 14 and her loss, losing her dad early on. She's incredibly resilient, incredibly strong and such a fierce individual when it comes to approaching life full on. You know, she really takes this responsibility about creating her own joy, contentment, excitement, and fulfillment in life very seriously. And she's very committed to really using this, you know, psychology and design thinking in bringing that to everyone that she meets. So we talk about what design thinking is and how it can be applied to everyday life, why it's really important for all of us, how psychology matters. We talk about, uh, you know, her work with, with all of these companies that she's creating right now, all here to serve us, you know, live a better life, get rid of the limiting beliefs and really go after that, the, the everything we want in life because as April says and you will hear her say you have one life and you know you will regret not having uh taken this opportunity to go after it brilliant conversation she's a fine fine individual but just an incredible value uh interview that offers insights into how you need to respect your time where you need to have boundaries and how to use design thinking to uh, achieve the goals in your own life I love this woman and I love this conversation and I can now wait for you to enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here's April Seifert. April, I am so excited. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. This is awesome. Thank you so, so, so much. A few months ago, it feels like a few months ago, I was on your podcast, which mm-hmm. we are going to be talking about a little bit later because it is brilliant. And I've told oh. you this from the get-go. I didn't even think that was going to be reviving mine. And here we are. I love it. This is wonderful. This is like, you know, fate aligning and all of that. I just love it. I, um, you and I have known each other now for a while and you know that I love you to pieces. And the fact that I get to share you with everyone listening is just really magical for me because I think that not only are you a brilliant 
incredible business savvy woman. You're such an incredible human, which is where we connected first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I want to start with that. So people have heard just this intro of how brilliant you are, but one of the things that they don't know is really how you came to do this work and why you are such, um, you know, uh, a resilient and strong and kind human. So um, one of the things that really left an imprint in me when, when we met was your story. I listened on your podcast. Um, I, I think it was episode number, you, you know the number, 22? Maybe 39, 39 or 40, probably. 39 or 40. Okay, Women Inspired. We'll talk about that. But you, you talked about your story, it left you paralyzed. Would you please, I want to start there because I really think that it introduces you properly and introduces the kind of brilliant mindset that you have today. So tell us about the, how, it, how you came to do this work and a little bit about, about, um, about your background. Awesome. Well, first of all, before I go there, I want to say thank you. This opportunity is amazing. And everything that you said about me, right back at you, friend. The work that you're doing is phenomenal. And I just feel so grateful to know you and to have you in my life in the way that I do. So I really appreciate this. I love you. <laughs> this is going to be a mutual love fest. That's where this episode is going For to sure. <laughs> so my background, you know, the work that I do, which I'm sure we'll get into, but the work that I do, sometimes people can look at that work and they can assume that people who do sort of personal development work or work that is in the realm of um, living an aligned, flourishing, vibrant life, they can assume that those people, well, it's easy for you because you don't have the barriers and obstacles that I have. You don't have the hardship that I have. And what I want people to understand is that the point that I've gotten to in the work that I've done is not because I didn't have obstacles and barriers along the way. So going way back, when I was a child, uh, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer when I was very, very young. And that was something that, you know, at the time, even then, colon cancer was very curable, but my dad waited a long time before he went in. Mm. I watched him go through five years of some of the most grueling cancer treatment uh, you can possibly imagine. I watched the strongest man I've ever known wither away to less than 100 pounds. Um, and ultimately, he lost his battle with cancer when I was 11. And when, you know, at that time, it's, I mean, folks listening to this, think back to when you were 11, mm -hmm. you're gangly and you just don't want people paying attention to you because I was so shy and I just didn't want all of this focus on me. And then our life sort of exploded in this way. And there was all this strange attention and everything that you can imagine we had to cope with, we did. The loss of a family member, trying to figure out how to operate as a single mom household. Um, losing income to the point that we were extremely poor at mm. that point. And for me, that was my first exposure to the concept of mortality and the fact that on a mortality level, we're not guaranteed our time here for any, for any amount of time. Mm -hmm. We know that we have today and we might not have any time after that. And that sort of you know, sunk into me. Now, I didn't have a whole lot of time to process that because as we were sort of reeling from all of this, I started to experience some really strange symptoms myself. 
I was, you know, going numb in big parts of my body. I was experiencing a really difficult time walking, hard time writing, um, all of these very strange symptoms. And the doctors at first, I went into a slew of doctor's appointments and they all assumed that, okay, here we have this early adolescent, clearly emotional girl. Clearly she is attention seeking because her dad has passed away. And that is what's going on here. And so it took them a very long time to take me seriously. Now, luckily I have a very strong mom who's not afraid to walk into a doctor's office and pound her fist and like refuse to leave until we got answers. Mm -hmm. But long story short, I ended up being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So in the process of that, yeah, at, uh, I was about 13 or 14 when I got the diagnosis. It took a long time for me to get diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've been paralyzed multiple times. I've been blind twice, um, experienced numbness and paralysis and all the crazy things you can possibly imagine. Um, and I've been giving myself, uh, intermuscular injections of interferon for the last 25 years. Um, to the point that now, you know, that's the therapy that I've been on for a couple of decades in order to manage the symptoms of this condition. Wow. I, I mean, I, I knew that from the moment we met, I will never forget the moment we met. You know, when some people leave an, leave an imprint on you, it was in the kitchen at Modern Well. It was. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And I always connect on such a more deeper level with, with people who have gone through such hardship, because I feel mm -hmm. like you take life with so much more gratitude and um, you don't sweat the small stuff. And I think people like you end up creating the most magnificent value to the world because we know why we're doing it. Does that make sense? It does. Because, you know, I think back, I mentioned when my dad passed away, that was my first face to face look at mortality. When I got sick, it got even more real because we psychologically like to distance ourselves from adversity that other people are going through. Like, oh, can you imagine losing, you know, being a person who lost their spouse? That's two degrees of separation from you. Like it's another person and then it's not them, it's their spouse. We don't like to think about those things being something that can happen to us until they do. And it happened to me, right? Like I, I was a kid who was in high school and all I wanted to do was take tests and play tennis with my friends and, you know, play volleyball. And here I was blind and trying to figure out how I was going to get to school each day, again, with a single mom who's trying to support this family and afford treatment that, I mean, truthfully, it's, it's a few thousand dollars a month for the medication that I take. So it was not easy. And to see that, you, you see what real problems are. And other people do have it much harder than I did. But that was a perspective that traffic this morning, that is not a real problem. The mm -hmm. fact that I ran out of butter this morning and couldn't make the toast that I wanted to and got <laughs> frustrated for a second, I check myself really quickly. That is not a problem. So many things that we get worked up about, they're not problems. Right. It's not that the problems don't arise or that you don't get frustrated. It's just that Correct. you're able to check yourself faster, say, okay, this really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. Right. Which is amazing. Okay. So this is, this is uh, people, do you understand now why I love this woman so much? <laughs> or something but it's just really brilliant because it's it's such I can't imagine going through that when you go through that you just have such I think resolve about life and immense gratitude and I, I and you want everyone to and that, uh, I think to feel good and I have I know everyone who's ever interacted with you 
is that that's the byproduct. They feel good. They feel really uplifted. Mm-hmm. Now, besides the fact that you're an incredible human, you are just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant intellectual. So you are the data person. All of these things which scare me. You're a design thinking guru. Um, I want you to take me into your world of data and numbers. And, yeah. and then lead me into design thinking and tell us what it is because honest to God, I don't even know what to ask you when it comes to the, the, the things of how you got started because the, the numbers scare me. So I'm just <laughs> lead the way, but tell us about really the other part of your life where you're really commanding such authority and expertise. Um, sure. And then tell us about design thinking. Sure. So for those listening to this, the, the number one thing, one of the things that I want you to take away from this is that there is no such thing as a straight path if you're following the opportunity that's being put in front of you. If you're really taking it seriously and you're seizing the opportunity that's put in front of you, you're going to meander a bit. And so understand that as I tell this story. When I went to college and then eventually to graduate school, I decided to pursue a doctorate in psychology. And this is because I loved statistics. I loved research. I loved the idea that I can have, I can see a gap out there in the knowledge that we have about a particular topic. I can ask an informed question. I can collect data and then use math to tell me whether or not I was right. And that process is just so fascinating to me. But I didn't like numbers and math for the sake of doing numbers and math. That's not why I like it. I like it because of what it can do for us. So in my day job, I have a day job with a revenue growth strategy firm. I'm co-owner of that. We use data science and machine learning and all these crazy things you've probably heard about. We don't use them because they're fun. We use them to help clients, our clients grow their revenue. Now on the flip side, the work that we do in psychology, we don't do statistics for fun. We do statistics to understand, okay, here's a technique and here's a technique. Which one of these work better to help people experience life in a better way? Here is a, you know, a particular finding that we're seeing out there in the world. Does this hold water? Does it hold water for people in this context? How about this other context? So that set of tools and techniques, these, you know, data analysis tools and techniques. Ultimately for me, I fell in love with them because they were a means to an end to develop knowledge, a body of knowledge that can help people, that can drive us forward. So did that PhD program, loved it, but at some point I decided I didn't want to be a researcher in an academic setting because it just I love my advisors. I love people who do this work. Let me just say that. But I'm going to go down a weird path. When I mentioned that I wanted to go into applied research, academic researchers don't know what to do with you at that point. They're like, well, good luck getting a job because I don't know how to help you. Mm. Have fun. Mm. And so I had to kind of carve my own path. And the reason why I didn't like academic research, it's funny because this is going to come full circle, is because we would uncover the most to me, earth shattering things like, holy cow, this is how your mind works. This is why people's behavior looks so irrational. It's super not. That's amazing. And here's a technique that can kind of reverse that pattern. We would uncover those things and then we would write them in a way 
that 99% of people can't understand and we would publish them in places that 99% of people will never find them. So it's and not that's applicable. where they stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have all this body of knowledge that no one's getting to tap into. And that's why I left academia. So I went in, blah, blah, did data analysis in normal companies, yada, yada, hit the fast forward button. I ended up um, getting laid off from a startup company. Probably the best thing that ever happened to me because at that point I was pregnant like a a thousand years pregnant by my own estimate. That's what I felt like, (laughs) a thousand years pregnant, right before the holidays. And I knew when the baby was born, I was gonna take time off of my job anyway. Why don't I just not worry about it and see if I can go out on my own? So there's the opportunity, right? Some people would look at that layoff when you're pregnant right before the holidays as kind of a bad thing. And I looked at that as, no way, man, this is a door opening. I'm just going to charge through it and see what happens. Worst case scenario, I'll get a job again. No big deal. So I went through it and that, you know, in the meanderings of being an entrepreneur and taking projects that used to be squarely in my uh, wheelhouse of data science, I met my business partners on the revenue growth strategy side and was introduced to this concept of design thinking. And it blew my mind because at its core, what it is, is a set of think thought-provoking tools and techniques mm. that help people create solutions that are aligned to the people who need to use those solutions. So I'll give like an out-of-context example. Um, we all carry around a supercomputer in our back pocket. We carry around a phone, a smartphone. Everyone has one, right? That phone didn't look like it did in its first generation. That phone, the people who made that phone, so say Apple, they thought about the humans who were gonna be using that product. What are their needs? What are their desires? What are their pain points? What aspirations do they have? And how might we, that's a huge question in the design world, how might we design a product that would help them meet those goals, fulfill those aspirations, avoid those problems, whatever? And let's get to a minimum viable product and chuck it out there in the marketplace. And then we're going to start collecting data and iterating. And that's where these generations of the iPhone came from. So again, opportunities open up. I uh, started my podcast literally without thinking about it. Randomly one day, I was like, I think I'll start a podcast today. There's probably something on Google. Um, Started my podcast, was doing my podcast for a year and a half. um, And I got pregnant pregnant with my second child. And as that pregnancy was ending, I felt another door opening that I can't describe. I felt like it was a vacuum, like I was being sucked toward this door. And that door was, you understand analysis. You understand how to put weird pieces of information together and make sense of them. You understand psychology and you know the value in these tools and techniques that are being hidden behind closed doors. And you understand design thinking and helping people get to know themselves and design services and products and whatever it might be around themselves. You need to make a product. You need to make a service. The world needs something that combines those three things. And literally that door swung open and sucked me through it. And I ended up in your mastermind and all the stuff that I'm doing today was born so quickly because it was the right time and a door of opportunity that opened that I just charged through. 
because you trusted yourself. So life design was born, which, mm-hmm. which I'm so excited about because it is a, an approach of design thinking, using that design thinking into really creating our own lives, figuring out what the problems or the issues are. I've seen you hands-on with some of the people in our mastermind, with some of your clients, like you are, I, 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 things so masterful in using that approach. So let's give people a little more clarity, um, an example of what your program, Life Design, does. Specifically, let's say someone is struggling with, with something. You, I'm very sure you have many case studies. Yeah. Give an example how you would use um, Life Design, design thinking in your, in your program to approach that. Yeah. So in the design framework, the first place you start is getting to know the user, quote unquote user. So right, Apple got to know the people who um, were going to use the iPhone. The gorgeous thing about life design, and this is going to blow people's minds a little bit, and you're probably going to want to like argue with me, but hear me out for a second. The cool thing about life design is it's actually a lot easier because there's only the iPhone gets used by tons of people, right? Millions of people, billions, maybe, I don't know, lots of people. There's only one person at the center of your life. There's only one. It's you. Mm-hmm. Now, where people like to argue is, but I have kids, but I have a spouse, but I have friends and family members and coworkers and people in my you know, religious organization and other things, and they depend on me. Cool. That's great. Those people do exist, and they are at the center of their own lives. Mm-hmm. You are the only one at the center of your life. And so for us to start the design process, we need to get to know you intimately. What makes you tick? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your goals? And most importantly, what do you look like when you're at your best? What does that person look like? Mm-hmm. And that's where some of this analysis comes in. Let's take all those disparate things and smash them together and get a really good understanding for what makes you tick. And from there, we start uncovering, all right, where are the friction points in your life In this process, we don't call them problems. We call them design challenges. Where are the design challenges in your life? Does your job feel like it's really heavy right now? Is there a particular relationship that you're in that doesn't feel like it's feeding you right now? Is there something about your health or your well-being that is just not happening for you? There's a reason. That means that area is not aligned to who you truly are. Mm -hmm. Because if it was aligned, it would flow a lot more naturally than it does. So we start by this immense self-awareness. We move quickly into identifying what those friction points are. And then I ask people to do something that is extremely difficult. And again, people wanna argue with me when I say this, but I ask people to adopt this notion of radical responsibility. And that is you're 100% responsible for 100% of the situations you find yourself in. And people want to argue. They want to say, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault that they laid me off from my job. It's not my fault that my husband cheated on me and left me. You're right. I'm not asking you to take blame for where you're at. That's backward looking. I'm asking you to take responsibility for where you go from here. Mm. That husband who cheated on you and isn't with you anymore, your happiness does not depend on him anymore. He can't make you happy. And in fact, he's not going to. You, only you, one person at the middle of your life, you get to decide what you're going to do going forward. And that's radical responsibility. I've talked to on the 
podcast. I've talked to cancer survivors in the worst of circumstances. I've talked to people who have, like a woman who survived the Holocaust, worst of circumstances. All of those people said, I looked at myself in this position and I said, okay, what am I going to do now? And what can I control? And what little bits of this can I manage going forward to create the experience or more of it than I want to have. So if a cancer patient or a Holocaust survivor can do it, you can do it with your job or with your relationship or with your whatever. And so I ask people to take responsibility. And then we go down the design path of iterating on solutions and ideas that align much better to who that person is to solve that design challenge and remove friction and make it more aligned and enjoyable. So the follow through is much more likely because it's completely aligned with who they are versus just throwing crap up the wall and hoping that something sticks. Totally. One beautiful example, I worked with a woman, I have a six week program called Life Design Lab. And I worked with a woman who, um, she's a stay-at-home mom. She was having a really hard time being a stay-at-home mom and having a hard time figuring out how do I make this experience better because the way that their family was structured, she just, that just needed to be how it was at that time. We went through her values and her strengths. And one of her strengths was communication. And one of her values was relationships. When she put those two things together, she's like, oh, oh, it's not that I don't enjoy being with my kids. She was experiencing this incredible amount of guilt and just self-loathing, maybe not to that degree, but like incredible amount of guilt over this in the past. But it took seeing those two things side by side for her to realize, oh, I just need to talk to adults more. I value close relationships and I'm good at communicating and I'm not getting either of those things for five days out of the week, sun up to sundown. Mm. That is not feeding your values and using your strengths. Mm -hmm. That is like misaligned to the core. Mm-hmm. So she started scheduling um, outings and stuff like that where she can be among other adults, trips to the library where someone's reading to your kids and you can chat with another grown person while your kids are getting a story read to them. That's awesome. That's a great solution. Mm-hmm. But she gets to align that to her values and her strengths more so than she could, you know, sitting there feeling like she's a terrible person in this misaligned situation. I love that. And something like that completely changes one's life. I, I never asked you this, but when you were talking about taking radical responsibility for your own life, where does a law of attraction in your work come into this? Do you even mention it? I'm just really curious because you know I'm such a sucker for law of attraction. <laughs> yeah, I think about it. Here's the way that I think about it. Ultimately, there are people who adore the law of attraction and 100% believe. There are people who hate the law of attraction and think it's dumb. Both of those groups of people exist out there. For me, I think about our minds as, well, not even I think about it. There's research to show that our minds are incredibly good at goal seeking, like psychotically good at it. So the example I always give for people is, say you go to the zoo, right? And you like walk up to an exhibit and there's vines and like trees and like there's some habitat there. And there's some weird animal name that is in this habitat somewhere, not like bear or something easy like that, that you know what it looks like, but some weird species that you don't know what it is. If you just read that word and looked at that exhibit 
it would take you forever to find that animal. Now the zoo is really smart. The zoo gives you a clear target of what to look for. They put a picture of the thing and you're like, oh, it's not a bird. That bird just <laughs> flew in there. That's not the animal I'm looking for. It's fluffy and it has a tail and it's like the size of a dog. Okay, cool. I'm going to look for that. And instantly you can see that animal. Mm. So our minds are brilliant at being able to goal seek for us. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I am, I'm not a quantum physicist. I don't play one on TV. I'm certainly not going to play one on this podcast, but I don't care what the mechanism that you think this operates through is, whether you think it is thought vibration and what state you're in, or whether you think it is purely cognitive and making your brain work for you. I care that you get a crystal clear target in your head of what you want. What's the goal you want? Because as soon as you do that, isn't it funny? I don't know the mechanism again, but isn't it funny how you start to notice opportunities that align with that goal. Isn't that weird? Mm -hmm. Like Mercedes G-Wagon, black Mercedes G-Wagon. You weren't even thinking about that before, right? You're going to see them in your life this week because I just planted that in your head and you can think of what that car looks like. And the same mechanism in cognitive psychology applies. So I don't know. I haven't researched the law of attraction. I don't know to what extent I would put weight in it, but I do know that your brain can goal seek. And I do know that that mechanism is working. And so whatever way you think it's working through, man, get a crystal clear vision of what you want because your brain will work for you. I love that approach. So basically it's really supporting the whatever hypothesis you put out there. I love, I really, really love that. It's a fabulous explanation actually. <laughs> <laughs> By a really smart, brilliant person. <laughs> You're never going to go to the zoo the same way again. Never, <laughs> ever. <laughs> so um, one of the things that people have to know, and again, we mentioned this briefly in the introduction, uh, it, you run one of the most successful podcasts in the Midwest. It is absolutely brilliant. It's actually, you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, maybe three or four. Yours is one of them. And it's, you have managed called Women Inspired, and you can find it where, wherever you find podcasts, but it's been growing so much, and it's really beautiful to watch. It's, it's your expertise, I think, brilliant way of asking questions, mm -hmm. and also um, just how it is that you weave your own design thinking, your own design thinking into these conversations. What I would love to know, because you've, you've interviewed hundreds of brilliant people, mm -hmm. what are some patterns that you're noticing uh, or some takeaways from having done so many amazing interviews? Yeah. Oh, gosh. There's so many. And there's, there's seriously a book here. I feel like I owe this podcast, I owe these women, I owe the world a book because there are very common patterns. And, you know, again, I've interviewed CEOs who have built multi-million dollar companies that they've sold. I've interviewed people who've gone through adverse events, again, plane crashes, the Miracle on the Hudson plane crash, the Holocaust and cancer and you name it. I've interviewed world champion skydivers and athletes. And I mean, gosh, the people who, the caliber of people who will sit down with me for an hour just astounds me. Hmm. But commonly, what I've heard from these people, there's two that I'll highlight. Number one, 
the women who have achieved something massive, like something that seems impossible at the time, the only difference between them and you, whoever's listening to this, the only difference between them and you is that they started and they kept going. Mm. They, almost everyone that I've interviewed, they don't have money, they didn't have connections, they didn't have tech savviness, they didn't know how to do the thing they were gonna do. They just took one step and then looked around and the second step looked a little more clear, so they took it and then they took the third step. And when they fell on their face, and this is important, when they fell on their face and some you know, issue fell in their way, they didn't take that as a sign that they, quote, weren't cut out for this work. Sometimes when we go down a path and, and we're bad at it at first, we look at it like, huh, I must not be cut out for this. No, 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 it's you absolutely are. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You cannot do something big without falling on your face so many times. And so these women, they started, they kept going. And when they fell on their face, they got up and went again and went again and went again. So if you want to do something big, just do it. You're not going to have, there's not going to be some flash of genius that is going to tell you you're ready. Just start now. You're fine and you'll figure it out. So that was one of the biggest pieces. Um, and then the second piece was we have this, and this is kind of a cognitive psych thing too. We have this concept of identity that cognitively we store in our mind. And this is all of the stuff that's wrapped up in the, in the question or in the, you know, fill in the blank answer to I'm the type of person who what, and I'm not the type of person who does what. So this is where we get sort of our sense of values from. I'm not the type of person who steals stuff from stores. Great. So you don't steal things because that would go against your identity. You're not that type of person, but think about what that means. If you believe I'm not the type of person who makes a half a million dollars a year. People like me don't do stuff like that. Mm. People like me don't voice their opinions loudly on the internet. People like me don't, we aren't entrepreneurs. We just get jobs. Mm. So your concept of identity, not only is it a guidepost and it operates in your favor because it keeps you from stealing stuff from Target, but it holds you back and you have to just decide that you're the type, you have to have this complete disregard for the point at which your identity tells you your limitations are. No, fall on your face, go again. And that's what commonly every woman that I talk to who's achieved something big, they all say the same thing. It's almost 100% of them. Is that how you break through that cognitive bias by, by going for it, falling on your butt and trying again, because that's, I feel like that really needs reframing because I have a few that I'm working on right now, right? Uh, mm -hmm. how, how do you, because I know that you are a lover of psychology. I mean, if there's anyone who knows how to get at the heart of this, it's you. How do you <clears throat> change that bias? Yeah. Well, so the thing that people should know about our minds is there's, there's a couple of pieces. One, our mind is really powerful, but it's not super sophisticated. It runs off of associations. So when something is paired with something else repeatedly, so like your parents say things like, just go get a good job, just go get a good job, just go get a good job, we just go get a good job. 
and you hear that for years, your brain decides I'm the type of person who just goes and gets a good job mm. and does these stable things, right? We learn these things throughout our lives. It's the same way that we learn that bears will kill us. I keep talking about bears a lot. <laughs> but bears will kill us and the stove is hot and uh, you know, a, a really fast car driving toward us is a scary thing. We learn these things over time. And so again, powerful but not sophisticated. If you pair information repeatedly, your brain learns it and it just becomes a habit. So if anybody's ever gotten a different job, and you're driving to your new job, or at least you think you are, and you kind of zone out and you're singing to the radio and you realize you're driving toward your old job or your old apartment, it's a cognitive habit that kicked in because you ran that association enough times that your brain just goes down that path. Now that should give you a clue. You can intentionally create a new association. You can intentionally create a new habit for your mind. And this is kind of where the second piece comes in. Your mind operates like a muscle. Yasna, I see your Insta stories. I know you go to the gym. You have these awesome biceps. I've seen them and commented on them. There they are. Uh, <laughs> your mind operates like that. So the, the more that you strengthen, think gym membership now, the more that you strengthen a particular thought pattern, the stronger it's going to get, the more automatic it's going to get, the more natural it's going to get. So that's why stuff like gratitude practices they seem so easy. They are. Write down three things you're grateful for every single day. It seems so dumb. Like this cannot have an impact. But what happens is your brain is powerful, but not sophisticated. It's suddenly going to catch on. Oh, shoot. She's going to make me sit here and think about things that I'm grateful for. This is hard. I might as well go to work for her. And let's just make this easier going forward. I'm just going to turn it on. And the moment that I get up, I'm going to start looking for things I'm grateful for. So she will have something to write down and it'll be easier when we do that exercise. Your life will change with things like that. I freaking love this. You saw me. I couldn't, I couldn't utter <laughs> much, but I was here having like a mini, mini freakout session because I had an aha moment when you said it's powerful, but not sophisticated. I feel like mm -hmm. that's going to be a title of this podcast like, <laughs> <laughs> or like a sub, like, you know, one of those biggest takeaways for me Yeah, is just really, really brilliant. I, would this be, I often say, you know, say a lie five times it becomes the truth. So kind of like you affirm something and even though you don't believe it, you repeat it enough, the brain is, the brain's going to follow along. Well, think about that. What is a lie? A lie is something that you say that goes against fact or goes against something you believe, right? Mm -hmm. So your concept of self is a set of beliefs. People like me don't start businesses. Mm -hmm. That is a belief mm -hmm. that your mind has. So if you start telling the quote unquote lie, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an entrepreneur, pretty soon your brain's going to start to flirt with the idea that, wait a minute, maybe, maybe we're an entrepreneur. Maybe we can try a few of these things. And that, mu that muscle will be very weak in the beginning. The more you do it though, the stronger it gets and the more authentic that sentence will start to feel. Just so brilliant. Like just, you are brilliant. I'm loving Aww. this conversation so much. I want to ask you this because this is a personal fascination of mine. You joined Mastermind when literally right after you had a baby. You were 
um, interviewing people when you're nine months pregnant. You are one of the hardest working women that I know on planet earth. You have two small children right now. You have a full-time job. You have, it's not a job. You run a company for God's sake. And you're starting two other companies on the side and run a successful podcast. Yeah. Needless to say, how the heck do you do it all? You know, you don't. You decide what the things are that are important to you and you don't do the other stuff. So uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but people probably have watched a heck of a lot more Game of Thrones than I have. I watch none TV, zero. It's not a value of mine. I don't say that to be like, oh, I'm so academic. (laughs) No. If I watch TV, I don't have time to do the things that I really care about. I I do not. I don't work in the evenings. I don't work on the weekends. That's my time with my kids and with my husband. So that time is guarded. This means I need to be very thoughtful about how everything fits in during the week. Every single morning, every morning, Saturday, Sunday, doesn't matter. I'm up at five. I get up at five because I get that time to myself to plan out my day. I follow that plan. I plan out my week on Sundays. I follow that plan. And there's a little bit of flexibility built in, but I've gotten so good at when a request comes in, even if it's something that it would be really nice to do at this season of my life with tiny kids who need a lot It is just not something I can entertain right now. So I've got sort of the five things that I care most about. A couple of them are businesses. There's some people in there and there's some self-care. That's what I have capacity for right now. And everything else is a no. And that's not easy. It isn't easy. There's a Megan Trainer song called No, where she's like, my name is No, my number is No. Like, it's, that's literally, I put Megan Trainer on and I'm like, nope, 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 sorry. I can't do your, I can't schedule your meeting. And subscribe to Calendly and like build some like barriers around your schedule. That helps too. I have um, to find that song right now. I like so I have. Good. It's so good. Oh gosh, everyone is going to be looking it up. But that's that's really true. You are brilliant about boundaries. I I've, or I have you have presented um, in our mastermind. You've been a speaker. Um, one of the the speakers that left the most imprint and impact into the participants. And I can't thank you enough for that. And you have taught people many times about how to create those boundaries. And people have seen you like, wow, that's, that's really impressive. Uh, and I think that we have to understand that I, you know, there's a season for everything. There's a season mm-hmm. for Game of Thrones. Um, yep. There's a season for building businesses. Like there's, I think that there are years where we just go all in in something. It's never easy, but um, figuring out what are what is important to me right now, and then going in uh, all in on that, which yeah. is really, I think, this is why you are going to be so incredibly successful because you're laser focused in right now. I'm watching you, and you are getting these businesses off the ground. One of which we're going to talk a little bit more in, in detail, but you know, all of these things. I'm pretty sure I'm hitting right now so many mental like up level stuff that comes up. Holy Hannah. And mm-hmm. I don't like, I don't like being a beginner. I hate it actually. Me too. Um, oh my God. It just makes me so, like, it just makes my skin crawl. And I'm right there right now in so many different things. And it's so uncomfortable. So 
the, with, with knowing that there's a discomfort and knowing that you are very determined about going after your goals, what would you tell to someone right now who's struggling, who knows that they're good, they have this idea? I mean, you coach people, you're brilliant at it, uh, and, and they're just they're just flailing. What would you mm-hmm. tell them? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I I love to figure. Okay, so look at the position that you're in now, right? You're you're. Let's talk geometry. This is not a math that I typically talk about. We're going to talk geometry. <laughs> we're gonna get them all in. We're going I don't know. Um, imagine that you're in a spot. You're at this point, you know, in space right now, and you have a goal that is somewhere projected into the future from you. Snap a line between where you are and where that goal is. Somewhere along there, and you can take or leave this advice, but this is advice that has helped me beyond what I even know what to do with. And I'll give a funny example of it in a moment. But I like to look at that straight line and figure out at some point on there, there's a point of no return. At some point on there, oh God, now I have to do it. Like, like there's no turning back. Kind of like being nine months pregnant. Yeah, like dang it. The the example I was going to give, I am a licensed skydiver and the ride up on the plane kills me every time. It is so scary. I've interviewed two other skydivers who are much more um, accomplished than I am. They're the same way. What you need to do is get yourself to a point where you can't turn back. Just get your butt out that door. Get out the door. You just need to get yourself out of the door of the plane and you will figure it out, I promise. So again, another weird example, I'm redoing our bathroom and we had this god-awful wallpaper on it. You know how I'm motivating myself to do it? I ripped a bunch of sheets off and now it looks like garbage. So now we have to keep going. So look at that line, figure out where the point of no return is and just get yourself over that line. Like do what you have to do to get over that line where you can't turn back now. Just keep going one foot in front of the other. And when you fall on your face, go again, but get yourself to the point where you can't turn back. Just jump. Because for that me, is... it's like, it's like, okay, we're going to figure it out now. We're doing it. Because we have to. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why I love investing in myself and committing Agreed. something like year long, because I'm like, oh my God, I just paint. Like there's no, there's no going back now. I have to follow through crap. <laughs> and, and that's, it, it just makes, makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I think you and I operate at the same level, but I think that that's very difficult. And I think that, um, uh, you know, you and I know people for whom it's really difficult to just throw themselves out there because there's all of these inhibitions mm-hmm. about actually uh, committing yourself to, to something. Any advice for actually getting there? That's the psychology piece though. That's where, you know, life design, there's some schools of thought out there. Stanford has a life design book. Uh, There's another woman out of, she out of Harvard that has a book. Um, Where they fall short, I believe, is that they don't infuse enough psychology in it. And going back to something that we talked about, your self-identity around what people like you do, I'm willing to bet a monthly paycheck that that is one of the pieces that's keeping you from getting to that point of no return. There's something in your identity that makes you not trust yourself that you can handle it once you get to that point. There's something in your identity that's saying, this doesn't feel congruent with me. And that identity 
is what sets that limit of your comfort zone. People mm -hmm. like me don't do stuff like this. And that limit where you're at the point of no return is outside of that comfort zone. I, I, I love that. And I think that there's a book waiting to be born by Dr. There's April so Seifert many. one day, but one that incorporates psychology where, where we're going next. And by the way, you're a skydiver watching your videos on Instagram. People need to follow <laughs> you because that's just so brilliant and inspiring, especially your latest video that were just really, really brilliant. Let's go a little bit over, you know, talk a little bit about the, the psychology part. And that's part of the new company that you're building, which Yay. I'm like, just so excited about. And it's a membership model. Uh, tell us about how did you pivot there? Why is it important to, to incorporate that? And what is Peak Mind? And where can people learn more about it? Yay. Oh, my gosh. So I mentioned earlier, right, I left academia because there was all these amazing stuff that people couldn't get access to. Well, there is one way that you can kind of get access to some of it, a very narrow view of it, and that's to go to therapy. Now, before I say anything else, I have been to therapy. The times that I've gone to therapy, I've needed to be there, and I'm grateful that I was there. So I'm not knocking therapy. What I am knocking is therapy as the only way you can get this information. Mm. That's like, if you put this in a physical health standpoint, that's like, let's just wait for everyone to get stage four cancer and then we'll intervene. Like, no, we know that diet and exercise and sleep and water and all these things serve to make our bodies strong and resilient so that we don't get sick as often. We're finding that there are similar techniques and it's not just gratitude and meditation. It's so much beyond that. There are similar techniques that help people become, the, the um, word we're coining is psychologically strong, mm -hmm. that help people become psychologically strong, psychologically resilient, so that it's less likely. They are actually protective from depression and protective from anxiety and protective from being able to handle chronic stress and the negative effects of that. And it was crazy. So I have a business partner named Ashley Smith. She's a clinical psychologist. I'm a social cognitive psychologist. We were talking and we're like, she's also experienced adversity. She's legally blind and getting more blind by the day. We were like, this stuff helped us. This is what allowed us to thrive. This is what's allowing us to live these giant vibrant lives right now that feel really great. Why can't people get this information? Because they're not going to journal articles and reading that awful stuff. Like, why can't we give that to people? How do we do that? And so we tried to figure out, and it was like an ordeal to figure out how to do this and have her not get sued and like violate her licensing requirements as a clinical psychologist. But we finally figured it out. And so Peak Mind, the Center for Psychological Strength, was born and we basically have a membership where you can, we're accepting members right now. We've got our um, initial set of founding members in and going, and it's awesome. Um, so every single month we teach a core, you know, concept that will help you build psychological strength. We have um, challenges where we're asking you to do things on a daily basis. Again, carving those new habits. They may not seem like they're a big deal, but they really are. Mm -hmm. um, and we've just built in a lot of really impactful, meaningful pieces to this membership so that people can get access to this on an ongoing basis. You don't have to go to therapy. It's like a gym membership for your mind. We want to give you that ability 
to build psychological strength in the same way that Yasna's biceps are just like amazing. <laughs> we want you to have Yasna's biceps in your mind and have that thing working for you, not against you. I love that gym membership for the mind. I really like that. That's a very powerful catchphrase. For mm-hmm. so, where can um, uh, where can people find it? Would you like actually? We are going to link it here somewhere, wherever yeah. this ends up being. <laughs> Pointing all over the place. Well, we're gonna do this. Use it, put it on YouTube and Instagram and anywhere. But would you just tell us so we so people can actually uh, go and check it out? Yes. So if you go to peakmindpsychology.com, you'll see all of the info about Peak Mind. Um, there's the Peak Mind Center, which is the membership. Um, we'd love to have you check that out. For people who might not be ready for that, we have some free resources there. Um, there's a giant, you know, body. You have no idea how many industries are profiting on people staying not resilient. Oh, yeah. And one of them, for better or worse, there are corners of the personal development industry that are not sound. It's people profiting off of people who are not doing well. And we've got a set of books up there and a growing set of books that are actually like, some of them have crazy titles and they seem like maybe they wouldn't be you know, actually sound information, but they are. So we've gone through and we're sort of doing that, that weeding through that information for people so that even on a free resources standpoint, you're getting pointed towards stuff that is very credible and that actually has been shown to impact people. So peakmindpsychology.com, visit the center, take a peek. We'd love to have you in the membership, but minimally go there and soak up all the free stuff too. Uh, I can't say enough about you as a human and anything that you touch, that I think that you do things with excellence when you approach them. You're very systematic, which I really respect about you. And I think that anyone who is listening to this, if this is resonating, I I really think you should stop whatever you're doing right now and go check it out because everything... and anything that um, April does will not go to waste. Like she knows what she's talking about. And I, I just, I love you to pieces and I respect the heck out of you. Um, and I'm just really great that you're doing this. So there's life design, there's women inspired, there's peak mind. What else? What's next April for you? You know, I'm really, I'm, like I said, this is a season where I'm focused on those things and my family, and some personal things. For you know, women out there who have had kids, I just had my last baby. She's nine and a half months old. So we're out of that really little baby phase. And there's an aspect of getting to know yourself again when you've come out of that season. Yasna, I know you've been in that situation too. And that's also a priority. That's taking up time. I'm really like intentionally and slowly getting back into skydive. I haven't jumped yet this year, but I'm doing things intentionally to put myself in a position that it feels good when I do. And going back to the gym and starting to power lift again. And I'm really just getting back to that core of me that's still there, but that in the season that I was in, I had to put some of that stuff aside and that's fine. But now I get to start flirting with that again. And it's really fun. So I'm carving out space for me to just re-explore what it means to be myself and do some things for me as well. Um, so it's me, the businesses, and my family. And those are my, my values and my you know, core goals right now. I love that. Well, um, anything else that I haven't asked that you would like to share with our audience? You know, it go- it's going to seem so trivial, but it isn't. You have 
you have one life. That's it. You have one life. And that life has a finite amount of time. And you don't know how much time that's going to be. It's a finite amount of time. And so what you choose to spend your time doing and who you choose to spend it with is some of the most important the most important decisions you'll ever make. And most people don't even make them. They just passively let them happen to them. Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people who gets to the end of their life and looks back with a list of regrets. Be one of those people who gets to the end of their life and looks back with a list of stuff that they did, even if they did it badly. Like, Be one of those people who lived a full, vibrant life. And to do that, work on yourself invest in yourself. It is not frivolous. It's the best gift you can give yourself because you're going to be here once and that's it. So make the most of that time and go all in on making sure that you're living as vibrantly and as much of a aligned life as you possibly can. I couldn't have asked for a better ending of this podcast. You are such a beautiful human, such a brilliant, brilliant human. I can't thank you enough for your time, for your presence in our community, everything that you're doing, and just for your friendship. I feel like I am a richer because I know you. Thank you so much. I know that this is going to be so interesting and so impactful to, to so, so many. So I can't thank you enough. Likewise. I'm so grateful to be here. Okay, there you have it, folks. Until next time, let's up-level together. Well, there you have it, folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. It means the world. Please share with anyone that might find this useful and go ahead to all iTunes stations and please give us a five-star rating. So much love for you all. Please, please, please know that everything can be different. You're worthy. You're good enough. And let's up-level together.